Hey everyone, welcome to Community of Coast. Glad you guys have joined us. Normal announcement, if you have any questions about this Bible study or Sunday's message, go ahead and send your question by text message to 949-301-7300 and we'll answer those questions as we get to them on Upstream and that's released Thursday at four o'clock. I also wanna remind you next week, there will not be a Bible study. We are going to be joining together outside for a worship night at 6.30. So outside, under the tent, bring a blanket. Um, We are going to be enjoying worship together under the stars, 6.30. Well, we are continuing in the life of Christ. We find ourselves in Matthew chapter 13. So as you're turning your Bible, let me open us in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your great word and thank you that you've given it to us to guide us in life. And my prayer is that those that are listening are hungering and thirsting for righteousness and true to your word, you'd fill them. Thank you for Community at Coast and the spiritual conversations that we have around your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we dig into Matthew chapter 13, let me set the stage for us in the chronology of the life of Christ. We've studied already. Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, he makes a call to the nation, to all people in Israel, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Sometime later, the Jews reject this call. It's in Matthew chapter 12, uh, probably just a few days later, they reject Jesus's claim to come to him and they actually refer to him as one of the demons. They actually communicate that his power is by Beelzebub, basically calling Jesus demonic and rejecting the call to come to him. It's only a few verses later that his family comes in on the scene and they think he's crazy. Uh, Another gospel, Mark's gospel tells us this. And they come in on the scene and they're coming to rescue Jesus. But Jesus, rejected by the nation, he redirects his family and says in the midst of this situation where mom and the brothers are trying to get him out of this scenario, who is my mom, who is my brothers, who are my sisters, but those who do the will of my father enter Matthew 13. And what Jesus is going to do and what Matthew is going to prove is what is the will of the Father? We ask this question all the time. What is God's will for me? Well, we discover God's will in God's word. So let's get to it. It's Matthew 13. On the same day, this is quite a day, on the same day. So Jesus has been rejected by basically the nation and rejected by his family, which he redirects to a spiritual family. And it's on this same day that he continues to minister. And I love the wisdom that's found in Ecclesiastes. And I'm gonna read it for you. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And if you've got uh, some notes and you're taking some notes, go ahead and write that down. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Listen as I read verse six, because Jesus follows this great advice. In the morning, sow your seed. In the evening, do not withhold your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. In other words, don't grow weary in doing good. Jesus doesn't allow the redirection uh, of his family or the rejection of the nation to stop him from sowing the seed of the gospel. And we're even gonna see this in the context of a parable. On the same day, I know I've had some rough days. 
Uh, I know what it is to feel like, man, do I really need to teach tonight after a challenging day? But I'm so glad that Jesus is my example to continue to sow the seed of the word, no matter how I feel about it, no matter what my experience or my day was, I've not been rejected by the United States of America nor my family. And so Jesus, thank you for setting an example to continue to persevere in the teaching of the word of God. And on that same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the sea and a great multitude were gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat. Now, Mark's gospel tells us that the day before, he actually told the disciples to prepare a boat and put it in the water. It would be the next day that he would use it. Um, Jesus was so, he had every gift. And one of the gifts is the gift of administration. In fact, I've often said without the gift of administration, you can't have the gift of leadership. You can't have the gift of service. It's the gift of administration that is like a glue that holds all the other gifts together. Here, Jesus operating the gift of administration, he, he knows that this can act as an amphitheater, this water and this way that the area is in this particular uh, area of the Sea of Galilee. So he's got a boat placed in the water to be used for the very next day. What a gift of administration. So the whole multitude, they stood on the shore. Look at verse three. Then he spoke many things to them in parables saying. I want to stop there. Maybe you want to circle that word in your Bible. I want to talk about parables tonight because I think it's important for us to understand because Jesus spoke in parables for 35% of all that he said in the gospels. He gave heavenly stories 35% of the time of all that the disciples recorded. Now, I think stories help people remember. I think stories are a way to help invoke people's emotions and mental capacity because people understand stories. And Jesus, he was an incredible teacher. And so looking at the example of Jesus, oftentimes I'll use personal stories or stories of life to be able to communicate some spiritual points. Now, stories in the Bible or parables in the Bible are used throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, uh, parables are used to explain Scripture. But in the New Testament, Jesus uses parables to explain new principles. Um, Let me give you an example of an Old Testament parable. It's Nathan and David. 2 Samuel chapter 12, you can read it later, verses 1 through 4. David has uh, basically had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba, kills her husband Uriah, and is going to kind of walk on with life until God tells Nathan, you need to go confront David on what he's done because I've seen it. Nathan walks in the scene. He's probably a little bit nervous. So he starts with the story. and He says, let me tell you a story about a rich guy and a poor guy. And he begins to tell this story of a traveler that came into town and the rich guy basically makes the decision, I'm not gonna take from the lambs of my flock, I'm gonna take the only you, the only female lamb from this poor guy. It's the only thing that he owns and he loves this lamb so much. The Bible says in verse three of 2 Samuel 12, he loved it like his own daughter. Now I understand that, I've got a dog, Blue. And I always call him my last son, my baby child. I love Baloo. And if someone was to come and take Baloo from me, I'd be pretty upset. But this rich guy, he comes and he takes this lamb. He takes Baloo, basically, from the poor guy. And he uses the poor guy's lamb instead of all of the lambs that he has. David gets mad and upset with his story. And he's like, who did this? They need to die. Nathan says, David, 
you're the man. And he uses a parable to bring a spiritual truth straight to David's heart. And this was a shocking experience for David. Jesus, in the same way, he would shock people with stories. He would tell a story in Luke 15 of a son, a second son, who would go to his dad and say, I want my inheritance now. Well, as soon as a first century Jew heard that a second son would ask his dad for his inheritance, it was one of those things where, are you kidding me? No one would ever do that. No son would ever disrespect their father like that. But then to hear that this same son would return and repent and the father who was so hurt by this son would kill the fattened calf and have this huge celebration? What a shocking story to get their attention. You see, one theologian has said that parables, they're works of art. They're literary masterpieces. Or another has said they are weapons of warfare but I would rather explain parables in the way that Jesus explained parables. Let's pick it up in verse three. Behold, sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth on earth. But when the sun was, uh, was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But the others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Here's where we're going to focus, verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I want you to let that just penetrate your heart for a minute. And maybe you want to write down the first point. Spiritual things are understood by spiritual people. Parables are spiritual when Jesus uses them. And spiritual things, parables, can be understood by spiritual people. Listen to what he says again. He who has ears to hear. In other words, disciples, I'm speaking to you, you're spiritual people, and you have ears to hear, you will be able to understand. Now, what I want you to do, if you would, we're going to skip, oh, skip down to verse uh, uh, 13, uh, excuse me, verse 10. He says, and the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered, because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Now listen carefully. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. In other words, they think they understand the law, but I'm even going to take that understanding away from them. But you who are seeking me, I'm going to give you more and more understanding. You're spiritual people. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, now listen to what it says. Hearing you'll hear and you shall not understand. Seeing you will see and you won't perceive. For the hearts of the people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Go down to verse 23. Listen to as he explains the parable to them. He says this, but he who received the seed, in other words, the word of God, on the, on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. 
who indeed bears fruit and produces some 160 or 30 fold. Let me explain. Number one, spiritual things are understood by spiritual people. He says in verse 23, you, the disciples, are going to understand because you're good seed. You're in good soil. And good soil is represented by the very fact that you're asking me the question, what do these parables mean? You're going to be able to understand because you are spiritual. Now, this word understand in verse 23, it means to set or to bring things in order. So we need to understand why Jesus spoke in parables, because he wanted spiritual people to understand, but he wanted to understand four things. And they all revolve around God. I want you to understand God's rule. And that's what all of chapter 13 about is about. The kingdom of heaven is like. Let me tell you what it's like being in the kingdom of God. I want you to understand God's rule. But I want you to understand God's character. So I'm going to tell you a story about a father and a prodigal son because I want you to see the unconditional love, character of God. And then it's about God's plan. So I'm going to tell you a story about 10 virgins and it's going to reveal the plan of God. And I want you to understand what it means about being God's servant. So I'm going to tell you a parable of talents and how you're supposed to be responsible with the gifts that God has given you. And he uses these stories to help people understand. 35% of his teaching time, he's speaking, and he's speaking in stories for people, spiritual people, to understand spiritual things. But number two, there's a second reason he tells us of why he uses parables. I want you to write it down. Because he's going to explain heavenly things by using or borrowing earthly language. Once again, he's going to explain some heavenly new principles by borrowing or using earthly language. Uh, let's go back to Matthew chapter 13. Sorry we're skipping around, but we're going to forsake the first parable to understand why he's spoken parables tonight. Look at chapter 13, verse 17. He says this, for surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear what he's saying. There were some things in the Old Testament that were not revealed. These are new principles. These are for citizens of the spiritual kingdom of heaven. These were things that were, well, they were fresh they were new. There were things that you couldn't study in the Old Testament to be able to discover, now what exactly is God trying to get across? Now, go over with me to chapter 13, verse 40. We'll begin to see in the context of explaining another parable, the wheat and the tares. Look what he says in verse 40. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. You see, this age is called the church age. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says it's a great mystery that God has revealed. I'm going to read that for you. It's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Once again, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, the secret of God. 
God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Here's what Paul says, the church. The church has been a secret. It was only a comma in the book of Daniel. It was only a light to the Gentiles, uh, according to the book of Isaiah. There were just a few hints in the Old Testament. And this church age that Jesus is talking about, it's a new principle. It's a new understanding. It's Matthew 16 when introduced for the very first time upon this rock, I will build my church. Paul says the church It's a great mystery that's revealed. And so there are new principles that Jesus is trying to explain to them. So he uses these parables, this uh, earthly language, this earthly common experience to be able to explain these new heavenly principles. Now, Jesus explained with these stories because he wanted them to understand. Uh, Listen to what he says in regards to our understanding of scripture. I'm gonna read a few texts for you that John records for us in John chapter three. It's John chapter three, verse 12. Listen to what he says, Nicodemus. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And then in John chapter 16, speaking to the disciples, no longer Nicodemus, he says this in John 16, verse 12. Listen carefully. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. In other words, I have purpose to use these stories to help you understand some spiritual things, but There are some new principles about this church age that you won't get until after the resurrection, until after the spirit comes upon you and guides you into all truth. I've done the best possible for you as humanity to understand these heavenly things. And I've used these stories of your common experience to give you some profound heaven truths. Some scholars have said that parables, they only prove one point, and that was around the second century, that that was the very big understanding. Um, In fact, uh, Origen, he thought that all parables were allegories, and he related the uh, uh, Good Samaritan story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, basically saying the Samaritan represented Christ, the man on his way to Jericho represented Adam, and the innkeeper represented the church, and the wounds represented the impact of sin. And so as this allegorical understanding, there's an assignment to every single principle. But the beauty of a parable is they're applicable. Everyone understands a story. And everyone understands a story in their context. In fact, that's the beauty of a parable. I, in the 21st century, have an application as they did in the first century. The beauty of an unexplained parable is how the Spirit of God will use it in your life to be able to give you a spiritual truth. And whether it's one point or whether it represents many points is not the point. It's the fact that God is using story to give us spiritual points, heavenly principles. And so, number two, Jesus uses parables to explain heavenly things by using earthly language. But number three, I want you to see, write it down, disciples are to explain these stories to others. Disciples are to explain these stories to others. Go back with me while you're still there, Matthew chapter 13. Look at the very end. Look at the very end of all the parables. 
Matthew 13, verse 51. So Jesus said to him, have you understood? Have I set in order all of these things? And we're going to understand that a little bit later, that the parables build off of each other, and you can compare the parables to understand the other ones. So have you understood? Have I set all these things in order? Have you understood these things? So they said to him, yes, Lord. Then he said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Now, let me tell you what you say. You know, you have like a garage sale and you, you basically put things out that you want to sell, things that are new, things that are old, and someone comes, I'll give you 50 cents. Well, I'm not selling you that for 50 cents. That's my treasure. I put new things out here. I put old things out here. I'm selling that for a dollar. I'm not going any less than a dollar. Well, that was the responsibility of the scribes of the time. They were to take the things of God out of the temple, out of the house, and they were to put it out on display for everyone to see, to take their treasure so that they could give a treasure to the people. They would interpret the law. They would help people understand spiritual things. That's what scribe did. They explained and they interpreted. And so what he says to the disciples is, it's now your job. I've given you spiritual truths. And what glorifies God is when his disciples explain spiritual truths to others. Now listen to the third point again. Disciples are to explain spiritual truths or these parables to others. And I want to stop for a minute and talk about who he was speaking to. He's asking his disciples, not the crowd, do you understand these things? There's certain things you need to understand about a disciple. They wanted to know the truth of of these parables. Go back with me to chapter 13, verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away. So we know he's speaking to the disciples. And he went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. You see, disciples hunger and thirst for righteousness like you guys are listening tonight. And the beautiful thing about those who hunger and thirst, you're going to be filled. You see, disciples want to know spiritual truths. Uh, When Paul was writing the church of Colossae, he says, Jesus, he can give you the depth of spiritual truth. In fact, all the riches and the wealth of God is found in understanding Jesus. And so our pursuit of knowing Jesus is our desire, our hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and you're going to be filled. But there's something else about disciples. I'm going to have you go all the way back to verse 10. I want you to see this. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? They said to him, you see, they know that Jesus is the only answer to spiritual truth. I'm going to say that again. They know that Jesus is the only answer to spiritual truth. That's a disciple. A disciple is not looking to this guru or this, or he's not looking to Oprah for a truth and looking to Dr. Phil for another truth. They're not looking to the view for a truth. They're not looking to politics for a truth. They're not looking to their work for a truth. They're not looking for any other truth outside of the truth that is found in Jesus. That's a disciple. Because the truth, The spiritual truth is that Jesus Christ, he came to earth. He died on a cross. 
He had lived a sinless life and he was able to pay the penalty of God's price of sin and that's death. That's the truth. And the truth is that he rose three days later. That's the truth, the resurrection. And there are 2,000 years of witnesses of the power of the resurrection as people's lives have been changed because Jesus rose from the dead and they've received the gift of salvation where they've invited Jesus into their heart and their lives have been eternally changed because of the power of the resurrection. That's the truth. And Christians know that Jesus is the only place to find that truth. That's the truth of a disciple. And once that truth is in us, our job is to share that truth with others. And so three things. Jesus spoke in parables because spiritual things are understood by spiritual people. Number two, he explained heavenly things by using earthly language. And number three, disciples are to explain this heavenly thing, this new principle to others. That glorifies God. Amen? Amen.